Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. Page nine of your order of worship as we uh, continue on in our study and act. Closing out chapter eight. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and was returning seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb, before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who could describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself, or about someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along... The road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. The word of the Lord. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth planted deep in us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness. The light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, let me briefly uh, remind us what's taking place in the story of Acts. Uh, if you remember, because of Saul's persecution in Jerusalem, the church has been dispersed, and the gospel is spreading from uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and heading toward 
the Gentile ends of the earth, just as Jesus promised at the beginning. The gospel arrived in Samaria, where it was uh, controversially received with much gladness, and soon it will be reaching uh, the Gentiles through Saul himself, very dramatic uh, chapter coming up in chapter 9, through Saul himself representing the ends of the earth. But in between is our passage today, and it represents an important part of the story that I actually think is uh, most relatable to us. The Samaritans uh, represent those we would view as local enemies. In our polarized society, the Samaritans would be akin to those on the other side of the cultural divide, those among us that we tend not to like that much. The Gentiles that we will soon get to represent uh, foreign enemies, um, or at the very least, foreign people and cultures that we don't think about at all, um, because to us they are the ends of the earth, distant, removed from us. Well, now in between we have this story, which fittingly represents the in-between of those two. The story is all about the seeker, somewhat familiar with God, intrigued by God, one might even say a genuine desire for God, but has not fully found what he is looking for. And despite what um, our news and our social media feeds tell us, I actually think this still represents the largest demographic of our society. Yes, there are those antagonistic to the Christian faith. There's no doubt about that. And yes, I'm willing to admit that many of these antagonists uh, increasingly hold power and platform in our culture. But if you talk to your neighbor, if you talk to your coworker, if you talk to the everyday people that you encounter, they don't sound like Twitter or Facebook. They sound like the person in our story. Last year at this time, NPR hosted a series um, that examined the most formative songs of our culture. And not surprisingly, one of those was uh, U2's 1987 hit, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. Now, interestingly, but I think brilliantly, NPR labeled this song as America's Anthem of Faith. And the reason why that's interesting is that the song, and probably most of you are familiar with it, isn't about finding as much as it is about searching. Bono himself described it as a gospel song with a restless spirit. That restlessness is, is unmistakable in the lyrics. You know, you know it. It's just this, um, this frustrating search throughout the song. I have climbed the highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you. I have, I have run. I have crawled. I have scaled these city walls only to be with you. And then the, the song's frustrating refrain, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. To me, this is the predominant American religious experience. Our culture is not hardened as much as it is wandering, searching, but tragically not finding what they're looking for. And in our passage, the searcher finally finds what he is searching for. And I want us to see it unfold in three very simple ways, very simple outline, searching, finding, embracing. So three steps to this story. It begins with the searching, verse 26. 
Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise, go towards south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Okay, much, much needed uh, context to this scene. Let me provide that. Uh, first, Ethiopia was not present-day Ethiopia. Uh, it, it was just south of Egypt, modern-day Sudan. And, um, and so this is northeast Africa, very connected um, by travel and commerce to um, Palestine. It's the land of Cush, biblically speaking. It's what it's referred to. Cush means black. And yes, the people of this region um, were, in fact, black. And the only reason I point that out is because this story is a monumental moment in the history of church, um, the history of the gospel, where for the first time the gospel reaches the black population of Africa. And it must be said uh, that shortly after Acts, uh, North Africa did become uh, the, 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 the hub, the central hub of Christianity, much more so than Jerusalem. It was North Africa. And I, I just think with all the cultural discussion going on right now, it's just, it, it's just important for us to note that, that all the famous uh, church fathers, um, including the esteemed St. Augustine, who we love, were, were African. And really, our New Testament spiritual heritage comes from North Africa. And it all begins with this text, this encounter this morning. The Ethiopian dynasty was a prestigious one. And the Candace mentioned here is not the name, but a title, much like Caesar. Uh, the queens of Ethiopia referred to as Candace. And the character in our story served as what was essentially a CFO of the dynasty. He was a eunuch, which was common for men who worked closely in the, uh, with the queen. Uh, castration was viewed in their culture as an honorable uh, sacrifice for this esteemed position in the queen's court. Now, as the queen's ambassador and CFO, trips to Jerusalem would have been very common. And what's interesting, though, about the story is that apparently the Ethiopian has been intrigued by Jerusalem's religion. It even says that on this trip in particular, it was not a business trip. He himself went to Jerusalem to worship. And upon returning from Jerusalem, he's reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, he was a eunuch, and what that meant was that he was unable to fully convert to Judaism. Jewish tradition would not allow that, but they did have a category for such a person. They were called God-fearers, those who feared, those who believed the God of Israel, those who sat and listened in the synagogues, but they could not fully be embraced as members of the people of God. So that's the situation. That's the context. Now, continue on verse 29. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? That is such a poignant, that's such a relevant statement. He's to, to our culture. He's influenced by the Jewish faith and culture. He's intrigued. Something has been awakened. He's longingly searching for more and yet he can't find it. He can't figure it out. He knows there's something there for him to find, but he can't find it because it says no one is there to guide him. Now, again, I want to suggest that this is 
um, actually the predominant spiritual condition in our culture. I'm, I'm not the best evangelist. It's one of my weaknesses. But something I have noticed is that I have never uh, struck up a conversation about my faith with someone, and it has been met with just hardened, resistant antagonism. I've met that online. I've never met that in person. The people I encounter are intrigued. One might even say searching. Very searching, longing culture. But they haven't had anyone to guide them. And I think it's important for um, us, speaking candidly, churches, to admit that Perhaps in many ways we have failed our culture of seekers. What's interesting about the Ethiopian is that he has obviously spent time uh, doing much observation in the synagogues, which served at the churches of the day, and yet he says at the same time, nobody's guiding me. I haven't found anybody to guide me, but he's been in the synagogues, meaning he hasn't found what he's looking for in the churches of that day, which struck me this week. In my studies, what our what has our culture of spiritual wanderers found in our churches? They found um, the gospel of prosperity. They hear that a lot. The gospel of politics. That's very, very prevalent. The gospel of political correctness. The gospel of um, modern ethics. We even invented an entire uh, an entire movement that the church called seeker sensitive which made Christianity all about seekers and yet ironically truncated the answer that they seek. I think we have to admit that in many ways we have failed the seekers of our culture in providing what is the answer. What is the answer? How can we faithfully guide the seeker? Well, let's watch it play out in Philip. Let's move from searching to discovering. Verse 31. He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shears of silence, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who could describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Isaiah 53, our Old Testament passage that was read, was and remains baffling to Jewish scholars. They did not know what to do with it. They don't know what to do with it. Who is this suffering figure of Isaiah 53 that through his suffering would literally bring the Lord's salvation? Who is this? Who is this, the eunuch pleads. The rabbis of the synagogues can't tell me. Can you tell me who is this person? Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. The good news, literally the gospel about Jesus. Jesus is the answer to the search. Jesus is what every... A soul is searching for, and you say, of course, Jesus is the answer. You knew that before the sermon started. You knew I would say that. We believe Jesus is the answer, and every seeker out there to some degree knows that we believe that, 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 that we're all about Jesus. But let's linger here. We have to be more thoughtful guides to use 
the language that the Ethiopian uses. Yes, Jesus is the answer. But who is Jesus? Ask that question to anyone. And you will quickly find out just how misunderstood our answer is. Notice something here. It says that beginning with this scripture, that is Isaiah 53, he told him the good news about Jesus. Who is Jesus? Philip says Jesus is exactly who Isaiah 53 promised he would be. Listen, please listen to me, seekers and believers alike. There are endless caricatures of Jesus presented to you. There's the Jesus of the right. There's the Jesus of the left. There's the harmful Jesus, exploited by abuse of spiritual authority. There's the harmless Jesus that makes no demands of you. There's the straw man Jesus, rejected by our universities. There's the domesticated Jesus of the Christian nominal subculture. There's the Santa Claus Jesus of Christian prosperity preaching. There's the cruel taskmaster Jesus of Christian fundamentalism. There's the hypocritical Jesus of your parents' example. I can do this all day in describing the different ways we come at Jesus. But there is only one Jesus that will end the search. Only one Jesus that is the good news, Jesus. The Jesus unveiled centuries ago on a desert road to a hungry, thirsty Ethiopian soul with these prophetic words, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That is Jesus. The suffering servant Jesus is our answer to the search. Now why? Why is it Isaiah 53 that for so long has so resonated with the fullness of answer of who our Savior is? Because what we see in Isaiah 53, what we see in our suffering servant Jesus is everything we are searching for. Everyone is seeking after love. And the fullness of love is what you will find in the suffering, crucified Jesus. Everyone is seeking after forgiveness for what they have done. And forgiveness, the fullness of forgiveness is what you will find in the suffering servant Jesus. Everyone is seeking redemption for what has been done to them. And the fullness of redemption is what you will find in the suffering Jesus. Everyone is seeking after peace, joy, hope, goodness, whatever other endeavor of the human soul you can name, all of them find their rightful end in Jesus, most specifically the suffering Isaiah 53, Jesus. To the seeker that is listening, this is what you seek. To the believer that is listening, this is what you offer. Only Jesus and him crucified. That's a direct quote from Paul. 1 Corinthians 2, 2. I resolve to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, we've done the seeking. We've done the finding. 
There's one last step here to see, perhaps the most difficult step. Let's close by looking at embracing. Verse 36. They were going along the road. They came to some water. The eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. I love his rhetorical question here. And I want to present it to us as our question of application this morning. What prevents me? What prevents me? What's stopping me? So overwhelmed with the good news of Jesus that at the first sight of water, he proclaims, what's in my way? What's stopping me? I want to come at that question from two perspectives, the perspective of the seeker and the believer. To my seeking friends here or listening online, what's preventing you? That's not... um, that's not a patronizing question. That's a deeply sincere question that I want you to answer. It probably speaks to the most intimate parts of your story. What is stopping you? The answer is nothing on the gospel side of things. Nothing is preventing you. Nothing is stopping you. But for you, there could be a myriad of things standing in the way. Perhaps it's people who have harmed you who bear the name of Jesus. Perhaps it's shame that, um, that, that you hide and you don't want to acknowledge. And if you were to acknowledge it, you don't think that Jesus could handle it. Perhaps it's a cost, something, something you don't want to lay down, but you know that Jesus would demand you lay it down. Perhaps that you feel too unacceptable, too unlovable, too hypocritical, too doubtful. Whatever it is, whatever's presenting Preventing you, I know this much, it no longer becomes a hindrance when compared to the true Jesus. Take your hindrances to Isaiah 53 and watch them come undone by the Savior who will answer every objection with his suffering. Why not? Why not, like the Ethiopian eunuchs say, the search is over? I found what I'm looking for, and what I'm looking for is Jesus. Now to the believers. I ask my seeking friends, what's preventing you? Now to the believers, my question for you is, what's preventing the seekers around you? I want to return to four words in our passage that were so convicting for me this week. Verse 35. Philip opened his mouth. That's a fascinating play on words that's very easy to miss. The passage of Isaiah 53 that the eunuch was reading that's quoted says, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. Before his accusers, his examiners, his executioners, facing his slaughter, the lamb of God opened not his mouth, but humbly received what sets us free. Could it be as simple as open your mouth and tell them the good news about Jesus who opened not his mouth? Could it be the hindrance to seekers among you is just that simple? Could it be 
that you are surrounded not by angry hard-heartedness that gets all the attention on social media, but by people on a genuine quest, a genuine search with genuine interest and longings who need someone to open their mouth and guide them to Jesus. And don't tell me you're not equipped. Don't tell me you don't know what to say or how to do that. If you go to this church and you sit under its instruction, I am confident you know how to tell people about the true Jesus. Our problem in this church is not what to say. Our problem is that we do not open our mouths and say it. And to the seekers and believers alike, this much I know. The Lord himself is seeking to. Look at the strange ending to our passage, verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. That's not like, uh, that's not like some teleporting miracle. It's, it's just, in the Greek, it's a very strong way to say, to say that the Spirit just compelled him, led him somewhere else. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing, rejoicing that he finally found what he was looking for. But Philip found himself at Azatus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So the point is that after the Ethiopian, the Spirit said, more work to be done, and sends him off. And what I want us to see here is just how prevalent the Spirit is in this story, more so than any other story in Acts, just completely step-by-step orchestrated by the Spirit. Go to the desert, go to that chariot, go to the other towns. Why that emphasis? What we are supposed to see is that the answer we seek is seeking us. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost, and he is still actively seeking and saving by his Spirit. What amazing news. The answer to the seeking is himself seeking the seeker. Or to return to what NPR labeled America's anthem of faith, As our culture stumbles about with every kind of searching only to yield, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. The gospel is the astounding news that what we are looking for is looking for us. And to my seeking friends listening to this, perhaps he's found you. Perhaps this is your Ethiopian eunuch moment where you finally say, I found it. The search is over. I finally found what I'm looking for, or rather, what I'm looking for has finally found me. And to my believing friends, open your mouth. I'm convicted, I repent, I'm going to do better, will you join me? Could we be known as a church that opens our mouths as conduits of God's search for the searching? People are seeking God God is seeking people. The bridge to that search could be as simple as you opening your mouth to proclaim the lamb who opened not his mouth. Let me pray. So Lord, Lord, would you take those truths and plant them deep within us as we sang and have already prayed. I pray for my seeking friends. They would see in the true Jesus, the Isaiah 53 Jesus, the crucified Jesus, what they're looking for. And I do pray that we, freshly convicted as those who have found you, or rather who have been found by you, we would open our mouths and we would be the guide.
to our culture that is wandering and lost. But Lord, as we come to your table, which promises to proclaim Christ and him crucified, give us the fresh reminder of who you truly are. In Jesus' name, amen.